Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl Smutko, and with me, as always, is Eitan Rivero-Shine. I don't know why I just did your last name there. I haven't done that in any other episode, but hey, no I'll press. I'll take it. Press. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll usually go for it. Oh man, I'm pumped for today's episode. I am too. Uh, today we are going to live vicariously through data through ourselves or through our past selves to go back to disneyland because we both missed disneyland and we wanted to do a theme park episode we've talked about this we talk about this for so long we've been to disneyland together and i think when we were talking about the topics for this week we were like we miss it why don't we uh remiss remiss remember why don't we whatever why don't we talk about what our perfect day at disneyland look like and what are the things that we enjoy so this is definitely not going to be one of those context heavy episodes we are gonna shooting from the hip as they say and just talking about our opinions and our takes and our thoughts so hopefully a nice change of pace yeah well i'm ready to reminisce with you i think that's the word you were that oh reminisce. there you go <laughs> thank you this is the weekly a Tan learns english well podcast <laughs> reminisce there you go i mean while you're also doing a podcast from mexico city it's a it's okay that your english is a little rusty right now <laughs> <laughs> but appreciate it thank you for correcting me that's how you learn nah it's all right this is this is gonna be a fun week but first, we do want to do some news. We don't want to completely shoot from the hip. That's kind of antithetical to the goals of this episode. But we are going to stay in the house of mouse quite a bit. First thing is, the weirdest piece of news I have seen in a long time was the announcement today that John Favreau, director of The Lion King, of The Mandalorian, the first Iron Man mm-hmm. chef, the Jungle Book. that's not a Disney thing. Yes, The Jungle Book. Uh, he's He's stepping down from... The Lion King 2, which is interesting because Favreau was one of three or four filmmakers out there really pushing what what's happening in technology in film. He's doing a lot with virtual production. Lion King was shot like a film, but in Unity. Very interesting and bizarre stuff, uh, but he stepped down. And in his place is someone... Okay, it's Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight... And if Beale Street could talk and medicine for melancholy. And I have no idea what the hell's up with this announcement. <laughs> My first reaction when you sent it was, first, Lion King 2. Why? In general, right? Why is this happening? I didn't like the Lion King remake. Uh, I agree with the technology part, but the movie, it's it's exactly the same as the animated. There isn't anything new. Music, word for word. Takes even word for word. Not my thing then they're making a Lion King 2 and apparently it's not the same as the actual Lion King 2 that it's animated straight to video sequel. It's an, it's a different story. And then the second thing was Barry Jenkins. <laughs> it, it's probably, if you told me like, what's, who's the least likely director you could think to direct Lion King 2, it'll probably be Barry Jenkins. I totally agree. And like, I mean, we've talked about how just, like, directors get funding. They have to do their time in the Disney system in order to get things made. And, you know, Barry Jenkins took 10 years to get the funding to make something like Moonlight, and he finally did. And he won the Oscar for Best Picture. And he's now having to do his time for a Disney sequel? 
I, I, okay, my theory here is that he's trying to step into something where he wants to have the technical credibility to be able to pull off a sci-fi project or something huge budget or very technical, or he's just very fascinated about what virtual filmmaking is. I am assuming that it's a very intentional learning experience from him rather than like some bizarre sellout. Because especially like when I think about it is what does he have to win for the Lion King 2? Like Lion King one did a lot of money Mm -hmm. because people like you and me that grew up with the animated were like, okay, we'll watch it, right? People that had kids wanted to watch it. Kids were excited. But Lion King 2 seems to seems to be pushing the live action remakes to a ridiculous height that doesn't seem necessary. And to your point, it seems like also now with the acquisition of of 20th Century Fox, well now 20th Century, there is other places in the House of Mouse for someone like him to make a spot. Like maybe yeah, like you said, the the huge budget. Maybe these and Marvel are the only places to do that, but. I don't know. It seems like a shame. It seems like a waste of a year and a half of his time. Yep, but he's also okay. So he just completed production on a on a TV series around the Underground Railroad. Great book. I haven't read it. I've heard it's great. Yeah. yeah. He's gonna do a biopic of the choreographer Alvin Ailey. Okay. Always like a like New York theater scene movie, and then. He's resurrect. Oh, he's resurrecting the Nick. Okay, Steven Soderbergh's the Nick. Andre Holland stars. I guess that makes sense. But the TV show, uh, him and um, who is it? What's his name? Oh my God, the Nick. Um, Children of Men. Jim and I- oh, uh, Clive. Clive Owen. Clive Owen? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, my fiance always gets Clive Owen mixed up with Colin Farrell. Javier Bardem and there's one other person and she thinks they're the same person even though she is very familiar with all of their films so therefore I get all of them confused now too it's horrible I can't you know I can't confuse Clive Owen because Children of Men and Mexican directors uh, they never they never go far from my heart so Eitan did you like Alfonso Cuaron I didn't know this about you I'm being sarcastic. I'm I'm being sarcastic. Of course you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway, I I think we've done enough on that. It's just a really weird piece of news, but I'm excited to see what happens next there. Or kind of scared to see what happens Uh, next there. (laughs) We'll we'll keep everyone posted. (laughs) Uh, The next thing... So we usually do our Quibi Quibi at the end of the news, but today... Should we do it before the other piece? Just we should. The other one's more relevant. Wanna... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, perfect. Why don't you tell us what's happening with Quibi? Okay. Well, nobody knows what's happening with Quibi, but it's not doing well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we know about Quibi. Exactly. Nothing. Nothing is happening with Quibi. <laughs> Last week, they uh, there was a piece that came out, I think it was Variety, maybe, about Quibi potentially being sold. Um I'm not sure what the acquisition... I mean, what are they acquiring there if, if they buy it? Like, nobody wants to buy that for the content. Are they going to buy it for the turnstile technology they may or may not have ripped off from another company? <laughs> Doesn't seem that interesting or difficult to replicate <laughs> once they did it, I guess. Um, there was also a, a take I saw on Twitter about the fact that uh, very famously, Quibi signed short-term contracts on all of these all this content. I think it's like an average of seven years is what I've seen floated around. 
that means that the studios are going to revert the rights back to them after it's all said and done anyway. So no studio, like every studio can just wait seven years to get quippy content back on its on their service. Like it, it doesn't really matter. There's no acquisition here, I think. Agree. And also, I think also from our strategic mind, uh, at first it's, it was it seems incredibly quick for two minds with the background of Meg Whitman and Geoffrey Katzenberg to make this decision. Uh, I think you and I were always skeptical of the business model even before the pandemic hit, which was obviously didn't help them at all. But it, it does seem to be very quick. I guess from one side, one side of my brain also says like, well, it's good that they realize and they're cutting their losses, but it doesn't seem like they learned anything over the past six months that they couldn't have predictive in some way i don't know what do you think i just think people are afraid to say no to jeffrey gatzenberg and there were a lot of incentives in place for media companies they say yes to jeffrey gatzenberg quibi is owned by his vc fund wonderco like it's, it's not like so all the investment money came from him or the people investing in wonderco they're coming around and saying, we're going to funnel this VC money into content. How does that sound to you? Every single person is going to reach in their bottom drawer and pull out the worst piece of content they have because they're not being picky. Like, nobody's going to say no. And I think that yeah. this is people realizing that there are people willing to say no and they are potential subscribers to Quibi. Yeah, the... Quickly, quickly evolving story. Maybe in a week or two, we'll say that it already sold. Any, yeah. any takers? The fire, the fire. Like a quick answer. Who do you think could buy them? Who would be interesting in them? Interested oh. in them? I truly have no idea. A minor league tech company trying to break into content. Snapchat. Snapchat. Yeah. Someone, like, I could see there being competencies with Snapchat. They Snapchat's tried and failed to do original content. Um, I don't see any of the big... Make it, make it social. Thing. Yeah. I don't see anybody, any of the big tech companies. Well, I could see Google buying them by mistake. Because they are... Uh, 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 transparency, I used to work at Google. But they are terrible at social media. So I could see them being like, well, maybe this is our new thing. They're terrible at social media and at content and trying to make something out of it. The latest thing, Cobra Kai. They, they sold Cobra Kai to Netflix. It was the only thing good in YouTube. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yes, we'll see. I just looked and there is not a Q company at Alphabet. So that could be the Q in Alphabet. There you go. Exactly. That's the only reason. We also live in a world where Oracle bought TikTok. So like who... And Barry Jenkins is directing Lion King 2. Nothing's making sense anymore. <laughs> yes, that was the worst. <laughs> Moving on to a little bit more somber news, um, which is connected to our topic today, is that today, it was just announced a couple of hours ago, we're recording Tuesday, September 29th, that um, Disney is going to be laying off around 28,000 employees, specifically on the products, parks, and experiences business unit. Um, Josh Damaro, who he took the role that Bob Chapek used to have as head of this business unit, sent a memo to employees letting them know. Um, Disney furloughed a lot of people six months ago when the pandemic started. 
their business model relies on in-person experiences, mostly parks, but also stores, cruises, hotels. So they got incredibly impacted. Uh, most of the furloughs were in these in these business units more so than in the studios or, or production or things like that. And while they expected the furloughs to hopefully not last as long, it's now been since six months and today they announced that um, they're going to have to be laying off people. They say that it's across all levels. They call them executive, salary, and hourly. However, they did say that apparently around 70% are going to be hourly employees. So people that work in the parks, in the stores, in things like this, which is... It's, it's of course, very sad. Today, Carl and I, we're going to be talking about the things that we miss and this utopia that exists in Anaheim. And But this is also kind of real life for a ton, a ton of people. So I think it's also good uh, always remembering this. I totally agree with that. And that's something that whenever anything comes up around, like, cast member strikes or unions or anything as well, like, that's always worth considering is the fact that they're there is a, a huge lack of worker protection in a lot of the parks and resorts family. Like, so it's, it is sad that this can directly impact. And I, I think that's something that colored you and I in how we look at reopening the parks. Like it's, we don't want to go to the parks, but we think that economically, like this does advantage these people or help these people. 100%. And I think especially hurtful for because at least I mean, we'll talk about it today and in our episodes, but so many of my memories of what makes Disney special is the cast members, is interactions yeah. you have with people and how they're literally called cast members, right? As if they were part of the production. They call the areas kind of behind the parks backstage. They call, I think they call theater once they are inside the park or, it has, or, or stage or something like that. It has a name, but they come on stage. And that's kind of their job to make it a really good experience. And the other part that is pretty sad, uh, just given the circumstances, is that Disney and a little bit less so Universal seem to be in this kind of battle with the government of California to get guidance into how to reopen the parks, which hasn't happened. It's supposed to happen last week. It didn't happen. It's supposed to happen this week. It hasn't happened yet. And if you want to give Disney credit you could say that Disney was pushing to get these guidance so that they could make a decision for these workers and try to keep them or have more visibility, which didn't happen. If you don't want to give them credit, which I think it's also fair, they you could see this as Disney using this 28... Not, not everyone is in, in Disneyland, but using these 28,000 layoffs as kind of a political tool to put pressure in the government. Um, we don't know. We'll, we'll see we what happens, know. but... It's just a very layered problem. I do wonder how many of the hourly employees that were furloughed were actually, like, haven't found other employment. Like, the yeah. Disney job is probably the more primo job if, like, I mean, name not really. Like, a lot of the job the wages are minimum wage. I mean, mm-hmm. I imagine it's a pretty elastic job demand curve there when it's all said and done like i'm sure there are thousands of people very much impacted and it, it's, it's horrible and like even then they might just want to come back to disney but like i have a feeling so many of these jobs are already like fully impacted and maybe that helped drive the decision to just lay off versus furlough this is a 
this is a, a segment where I don't have a lot of... Uh, I In Mexico, the concept of furlough doesn't exist. You're either laid off or not. Yeah. So I don't know, if, for example, if you're furloughed and you get another job, if you stop being furloughed because they stop paying. So for people that don't have context, in the US, there is this concept of furloughing where you don't work, you don't get your salary paid, but you keep most benefits. That's right, right? You yeah. keep health insurance. You might keep some sort of retirement they might help you find another job. So, but yeah, I don't know if you get another job, if you kind of have to give up your furlough or if you keep it and then you can decide. I, I am not sure. To be fair, the concept of a furlough is pretty unusual here too. The only time I've ever encountered furloughs is with uh, workers that are freelancer contract. But even then it's like, we're going to keep our, your contract open, but we're like, as part of the contract we signed with you, we're not going to be granting new work or projects and not paying right now. That's the usual context for furloughing. I think in this case, it just became like a general word and like stuff buried in people's employment contracts that actually came up. Um, but I mean, nothing precludes people from looking for another chance job for to be employed at and like leaving their furlough whenever it comes up. But I don't know. Correct. And that, that goes yeah, back the to other, like the, the other piece the elastic, of concept, which is good. The other piece of concept context with might be important is that if you're furloughed, you can apply for unemployment, which, sure. uh, so you can kind of keep, and in the US, there was some sort of um, support for unemployment, some extra support during the pandemic. Yeah, it's still a weird time and a terrible time. And it's very striking looking at like Orlando versus California and Orlando just opened and the governor has allowed that versus California, where it's still restricted, as it probably should be. And it's it's an interesting game uh, playing between both. But at the same time, I mean, that's kind of the difference between Disneyland and, and Orlando to begin with, is that, like, if you look at the job makeup in Orlando, like, Orlando is driven by entertainment and tourism. Whereas in, in L.A., like, the people that could be cast members in L.A. or anyone from, like, Anaheim natives to college kids at UCLA to uh, anyone else. Like, I mean, just being in Los Angeles or next to Los Angeles has a much more diverse working and talent pool you can pull from as opposed to Orlando, which is like a lot of people that like have been born and raised around there or they're indentured servants like the Disney Cali or the, the uh, Disney college program kids, <laughs> which is we'll have to do an episode exactly. on DCP. DCP is wild. Yeah, he's wild. I know I have, I have someone. That just she actually got this year because of the pandemic it ended early, so uh, lots of stuff to talk well, about there. I there was a there was a person I uh, did not know very well from high school who took a, a year off to be in DCP and so she could be a Disney princess and did not become a princess. So but she got to work in like food service, so that was fun. Some shot in for it there. Anyway, topic for another day. Yes. Uh, perfect. So why don't we move into our main topic of the week? Our perfect day at Disneyland Resort. We're going to approach it like that. We're going to try to go in order of time. But I'm sure we're going to take a ton of tangents. So bear with us. Um, Carl. Yes. When do you start planning to go to Disneyland? 
Disneyland being, we are probably going to say Disneyland for the Disneyland Resort, which includes both the Disneyland Park and the Disney California Adventure Park. But how do you usually start? How long before? What do you do first? Well, I think we just lost 50% of the listenership with that question because for most people, when they see your day at Disneyland, they're picturing just driving up like nine in the morning, going to Disneyland, having some fun. No, that's not how we do this. (laughs) This is a logistics puzzle and it's great i think it's part of our engineering minds right we are both engineers and we love we we love the rush that we get when we finish the day and we knew we did everything we wanted to do in the most efficient way with the least amount of steps with the right amount of calories with the right amount of clothes less time spending in queue in lines it's just a, a maximizing function that we have to optimize it's a lot of fun and it's really like heartwarming whenever I'm going to Disney with like another group of people that, I mean, my family takes it for granted, but like just friends. And at the end of the day, they were like, wow, that was so much less stressful than I thought it was going to be. Right. Like I didn't have to wait in line at all. Like you had everything planned out. And like for Eitan and I, it's like a pretty, we just, this is pretty natural just because like we literally listen to podcasts about how to do these things and watch videos and just like think about planning disneyland trips all day it's this is just a peek into our mind so to answer (laughs) your question uh i mean one of my goals is is to have a disneyland annual pass whenever i'm hopefully living in la for a little bit so the calculus will probably change there a little bit but for right now where it's a i'm gonna buy a ticket to disneyland and go for the day i'm gonna start planning that at minimum like a month out probably more like six weeks out or two months depending on what sort of reservations i want for dining (laughs) i think that's absolutely right i'm very similar to that uh dining reservations make that difference for me if i have visibility into where, where i'm going making a reservation for dining makes sense i guess for context for everyone there are a couple of restaurants that if you don't get a reservation for either you can't get in or they have terrible lines. But also having a reservation makes it very easy to plan around. And you know you're going to have a time where you can go sit down and relax. Um, do you have any Disney... places you make a reservation for always? Or say, try to? Disney parks have fantastic food. But if you don't plan ahead, the food can be awful. <laughs> Especially in Disneyland or Magic Kingdom. Like, there's just not food unless you know where you're going. Uh, to To that point... Um, I mean, Disneyland's still kind of new to me. Like, I'm I figured out the rhythms pretty quickly, but the food rhythms are, are a little different. I'm a I'm a big p- proponent of leaving Disneyland or Magic Kingdom. A little harder to leave Magic Kingdom in Orlando, but leaving Disneyland to go to California Adventure across the street to get food. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the preferred way to do at least one of your meals, if not both of them. Mm-mm. So Lampland Lounge, the we'll Pixar restaurant, that. you're disagreeing. Hmm. What what restaurant are you going to defend in Disneyland? Blue Bayou? No, we'll, we'll get to it, but I don't okay. think it makes sense to change to DCA in the middle of the day. Sorry. I think it totally does, but we also do things differently. So anyway. <laughs> so you said Lamplight Lounge? Lamplight, Lamplight Lounge is great. Um, it's a Pixar-themed like bar and grill, just pretty normal. Um, there's a like winery themed restaurant that's good. 
Um, I haven't been to Carthay Circle. It's supposed to be good. I don't know. If if I did, if I have to do Disneyland, I guess I would do Blue Bayou, which is a a Cajun slash just kind of generic steakhouse restaurant, in New Orleans Square. I don't know what I would do there. What about you? So these are gonna also come up in the way I the order that I do things. But I do a reservation for Limeland Lounge for like a brunch, early brunch, eleven a.m. And then we usually do a reservation at Cafe Orleans, Orleans, in New Orleans Square. Haven't been there for like late lunch and. We like it. It's nothing fancy or incredible, but there are two reasons why we like it. First, free refill Coke, which is very important for the Disneyland, being able to sit down and get a lot of ice cold Coke. And then the second one is that they have the Monte Cristo sandwich, which is probably my favorite piece of food in the whole resort, which is not Whoa. in California Adventure. I mean, I haven't had it, but I love Monte Cristo sandwiches. So you're selling me here. And also, I love Mickey beignets. That's probably my favorite mm-hmm. food in, in, mm-hmm. in all of Disneyland Resort. So that's just a Mickey beignet with meat and cheese. So I, I could see it. Basically. So I this is also just like is how we do things differently in life, though, which is it's my day off. I'm on vacation. Like, give me brunch drinks, happy hour, and or dinner drinks, too. And you can't do that in Disneyland. <laughs> you can't drink in Disneyland. Right. You, well, now you can. But we'll get okay, there. Okay, kind of. If you're super wealthy and or went 60 days out to get a reservation at the Cantina, which I guess we used to talk about, if you want to do anything in Galaxy's Edge, like, you got to plan ahead. You are gonna, you have to really plan ahead. Okay, but th- that's a good setup for a month cool. in advance, what we do. And then, and then I would prefer to stay on property, like, if I'm going to actually do it, like, a weekend, so I, like, get there Friday, come in Saturday, probably not... Okay, Disneyland's kind of not really a two-day thing. Like, I, I'm happy with one day at Disneyland. But, like, getting in Friday or Saturday nights just so I'm ready to go in the morning is great because you can have an evening at, like, the hotels. You can hang out on Downtown Disney. You can go to the Tiki Bar at Disneyland Hotel. You can swim. Like, you can have a nice evening at Disney before the day before. That's a personal move, though. But, like, it's nice not to have to fight the uh, the insane parking garage situation the morning of. <laughs> Right. I think that's a good segue, but I would say I I have a we have a lot of family in LA. So we usually stay with them. Yeah. Um even if it's a if it's something that we plan to go to Disneyland. We when we went to D twenty three we stayed next to the resort just because it's it's in the conference yeah. center right there. But perfect. So getting there, parking garage. If you get to the parking garage, context, I know this is very logistics. Parking garage is a little bit far. Carl, do you walk from the parking garage through downtown Disney or do you take the tram? That absolutely depends. Like, I would personally just walk. It's not that far of a walk and it's pretty fast and easier than fighting people for the tram. But I want to go back further, which is the parking garage situation is the nicest parking garage situation I've ever seen. They have a bunch of garages. And based on when you arrive, they just stagger you, and you go single file into the garage. They point you to a spot. They point the next person to a spot, and you're basically always moving. It might be a little slow, but basically by the time you arrive at the parking garage to when you park is about 15 minutes, and it is never stopped. Like, it is fully not traffic jammed. It's great. But, yeah, I'd probably just walk it. It's not that far. This is also an interesting piece of context for me is that if I... 
disconnected my heart from my brain and I just thought with my brain I would walk. Ah. It's faster, security is faster in downtown Disney, etc. But as a kid, the tram is the first ride at Disney. Getting into that tram and hearing the voice, again, I'm from Mexico, so the voice in English saying like, welcome to Disneyland and whoever character is saying, you know, keep your hands and feet, the honk honk before the tram moves, the whatever that they play as you're going, that they tell you the hours. As a kid, that's like super exciting before getting in. So if there aren't enough, a lot of people, I like doing the tram. And I think also something that helps me with the parking lot is that if you want to do Disneyland in a day and you want to do both parks and you want to make up for the insane amount that a ticket costs, you probably want to get there as early as possible. Yeah. And there is actually incentives to get in before it opens. So usually when I get to the garage, there isn't that much people or line to get in, which is pretty great. Uh, but before getting into the parks, anything you do outside before getting in? I mean, I do go through downtown Disney typically because I'm either going to walk it or I'm going to probably be at the Disneyland Hotel. I've never stayed at uh, the yet. Grand Californian yet. We'll see. I would like to. But so I'm always going in. Okay. Context. We have to give more context in this episode, Aton. The go, go. Essentially, Disneyland is on the north side of this piece of land. California Adventure is on the south side. They're bisected by like a big like boulevard that you can walk on, and it's just walking. And then if you go west on the boulevard, it's this strip of an outdoor mall called Downtown Disney. That's like whatever. Like it's got some Disney stores in there. It's got some weird restaurants in there. Like uh, I highly recommend Podcast the Rides Downtown mm-hmm. Disney Ordeal, where they spend I think eighteen episodes going through every piece of minutia on it. Fantastic. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but I'm always walking from west to east. And there's a Starbucks in downtown Disney that I always place a mobile order for because they put it on a table as I walk by and I've got my coffee and I can finish it by the time I get to the park. It's perfect. Because perfect. I order espresso, so it doesn't take that long to drink. It. Oh, it's very, very quick. But I think that's also a good point that the parks are, like you said, they're just divided by this i think it's called the esplanade and mm-hmm. uh, california adventure is on the right disneyland is on the left and they are literally 50 meters apart i don't know what's that in feet 200 feet apart i mean it's it's like a football field or two it's not too large yeah which is completely different from orlando which is take a car or take a monorail these are literally next to each other you can just walk so when you get there this is probably our first piece of disagreement do you turn right to Disney California Adventure or do you turn left to Disneyland and why and if you turn left why are you wrong so <laughs> Disney California Adventure is pretty sad like I don't like spending my time there and I just want to spend the afternoon there when everyone is like melting down and, and like trying to take shelter that's when you can get on rides easier Slash, like, you can just, like, sit at the winery or sit at the lamplight or whatever and just hang out for a little bit. So I turn left because I like the rides better over there. I don't necessarily need breakfast. Uh, you can get to Galaxy's Edge early and do Millennium Falcon. You can do Indiana Jones early. I can, like, do stuff early and knock it out and then do it again later if I want to. And yeah, I just want to spend begin in my end my day with the magic of Disneyland, 
and only succumb to the mediocrity of California Adventure like when I'm tired. This is interesting because we agree on the ends, but we don't agree on the means. And this is where I stand. <laughs> I agree with you that DCA is kind of sad, although I would say it's getting better. The last time I went, we just spent the day in DCA. We won't get into why. And we actually really enjoyed it. When I say we, my girlfriend, Ariel, and I. But we turn right first because, A, like you said, Disneyland has more rights. And most people go to the left like you. And then DCA has a thing that also makes it worth first at day. It has Radiator Springs Racers, which is the key ride in Carsland, which is probably the longest line in the resort and the one that gets fast passes that they run out the quickest. So I turn right because I can do the top four or five rides in DCA in an hour and a half get brunch, and then I can leave and not come back and not have to think about it and walk. And I just love what that efficiency gives me. It's like I have a full day in Disneyland starting at 11.30. That's actually pretty, pretty great. I I could try this. But again, I want to eat better food over at DCA probably. But I don't know. I, I could be sweet here. Uh, yeah, to the point, like, I just like get fast passes first thing like for the early afternoon. Um like okay. Also, Incredicoaster is great. Radiator Springs Racing is great. Soren, I can take or leave Soren. Like Soren's great, but like yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not top. Yeah, it's like I'm always really excited to do Soren when I'm there, but like uh, I've never ridden the water ride because I don't want to get wet. Um same and, like, it's not as intense as the one in Animal Kingdom, so I don't know why I would do it. Um, all the other rides are lame. I don't care about Mission Breakout. It's fine. But... Guardians is great, Carl. Guardians yeah. is better than Hollywood Tower of Terror DCA version. Okay. It's better than the one it replaced. That's fine, but I like the Twilight Zone better than Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, maybe as a concept, I... but you're in a ride. You're not in a... Okay, when you're on the ride, they have to have a story reason for you lifting your hands up in the air because you're scared of falling. It's so stupid. I hate the plot line. It's so great. It's... Ugh. Okay, so we disagree on that. Yes. So, I guess, very quick context on this. There was a Hollywood Tower of Terror in Orlando. There is a Hollywood Tower of Terror in Orlando, which is great because the elevator ride those more things the one that was in dca it only went up and down up and down and then they put they took it they didn't took it down they refurbished it and changed it to be guardians of the galaxy based and now it's significantly more fun because it goes way higher not higher faster it has more drops it has more energy music is great and everyone is laughing all the time everyone just has a great time i agree that it is fun but it annoys me (laughs) A big piece of context here, too, is the reason California Adventure is, like, the lame park is, like, it just went through a massive overhaul. It's gone through many massive overhauls. The reason it's called Disney California Adventure is it was originally supposed to be what they call the second gate for Disneyland. So, for years, Disneyland was the only park, uh, so the first gate. But then they took got rid of a parking lot and put in another one and put in some parking structures because they wanted to have multiple reasons for you to come besides just the Disneyland park and Disney 
this was peak like lack of creative energy slash peak Disneyland Euro did terribly. Mm-hmm. So they were out of money. So they just so Michael Eisner's Imagineering Wing decided to do a park dedicated to the great state of California. So that if you're a tourist and you are in Los Angeles, you can go to a park to see California instead of going to actual California where you actually are. And I mean, when you're there, you can kind of see it now. Like uh, the entrance way is this beautiful, like kind of almost like fake studio lot thing. You go, you originally went through the golden gate bridge to the, what was it called? The sun sphere, the sunshine ball. It was, it was, like it was pretty awful. Culture. Yeah. Actually, there really wasn't that much there, and they, they redid it recently. Um, then there was a fake Fisherman's Wharf. There was a, like, fake Yosemite. Um, something that's vaguely the, like, Santa Monica Pier and or um, the Santa Cruz Pier. Mm-hmm. And then to the left is the Hollywood backlot. And that's kind of the bulk of, of the problem with the entire park there is... The stuff, when you go left, when you enter, it's still, like, the vestiges of this awful plan that, like, never really was put back together and fixed. Like, it has the least sheen over anything. It's this bad Hollywood theming. You have the Guardians of the Galaxy ride and two rides I kind of hate. So I just, like, want them to demolish that. I think this is very good context. It uh, DCA did terribly when it opened. Uh, very little people, like you say, it was driven by probably just bad decision making. It's also very sad because the, the same year that it opened in 2001, Disney opened probably the best Disney theme park in the world, which is Disney Tokyo Disney Sea, which is the second gate in Tokyo Disneyland. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about it. And if you're listening to this, you might have never heard of Tokyo Disney Sea. It's called Tokyo Disney Sea because there is a Tokyo Disney Land, and there was a plan for a Tokyo Disney Air. But there are rumors that they didn't do a lot of marketing outside of Japan and a couple of Asian markets because the US, like people here in the U.S. would hate what they did with DCA even more if they knew how incredible Tokyo Disney Sea is. But anyway, here's another take. I think Grizzly Peak, which is the area where Soaring is and the, where the water ride is, it's kind of a mix between Yosemite and the Redwoods. It's probably, if not the top, top three themed area in Disneyland for me. I love it. I don't like the ride, but walking through there, there is this path that goes behind the ride that a lot of people never go to, and it's beautiful. It's incredibly nice. It is absolutely the most beautiful area of probably anything. I love both Grizzly Peak and what they did with Cars Land, which is based around Radiator Springs, um, the the town in the movie Cars, the theming of those two are, is gorgeous and congruous and just, like, beautiful. I love it. Um, but just, like, there's not that much stuff there I want to do. I agree. No, I, I think I agree with you. But I, I, could, I could reorient my day around doing that, and if, like, I want to go over to Carthay Circle, like, Carthay Circle's right at the entrance... Mm-hmm. I can go there in the afternoon to decompress and like I don't really have to go that far into the park. I could I could be on board with your way of doing things. We're going to try it next time. Okay. So we've gotten some DCA context in. Um essentially the TLDR on Disney California Adventure it seems to be that we don't like it and we're going to spend a lot more time in Disneyland. <laughs> yes. This is also kind of what I was going before is that 
when I was there almost a year ago, we only spent the day in VCA and we actually really enjoyed it. I think when you put it next to Disneyland and you go wanting to do everything, Disneyland is better. And there is no questions just like from the top of rides and the ambience and how it feels and just size-wise. However, if you go to DCA knowing that you're only going to be in DCA, I think you can get a pretty good day out of it. I don't know why you would decide that. Like the, the reason that we went is we... That the family member had tickets that were only for DCA. We made a very nice day out of it. We took it very slow. We did everything with fast passes. We had good food. We had drinks. They had like the the Anaheim version of the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. We had great food. And we just left feeling very refreshed, maybe because we weren't running. But maybe it's coming. I don't know that I love how much IP they're putting everywhere. I didn't like, again, I didn't like the original version of California based, but I really love a lot of the original stuff that they have. So one of my favorite parts about this year is Grizzly Peak because it has Soarin', which is an original game. It's nothing. Um, mm-hmm. The Incredicoaster, it used to be called just California Screaming, and it was actually a pretty good ride, and it wasn't themed to anything. Um, and even though I love Carsland, and I agree, I think now that Pixar Pier is Pixar Pier, which, ugh, and... There's going to be an Avengers campus and there's cars. It's st- starting to feel a little bit much. Yeah. That's very true. We're both in agreement of like liking kind of stuff that's the park rather than like synergy with brands. Um, and everything everywhere is turning into synergy with brands, especially over with Disneyland and Galaxy's Edge, which is the Star Wars park. That said, like, yeah, I I think we're both in agreement that Pixar Pier is probably the place where a lot of work could be done and a lot of space could be reclaimed. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Pixar Pier is that area that I was describing as like a fake pseudo like amusement park boardwalk. Back when they opened it, they literally, Disney literally purchased off the shelf carnival rides to put in there. And then over the last decade, they've rebranded them all as Pixar themed carnival rides, which I mean, I'm happy that it's a Pixar place, right? But like it's, it's nothing it doesn't really have that much character besides some like yeah and there is this whole story about john lasseter really pushing for it and the disney higher-ups caving and i don't know i i guess there's also the toy story ryan like what's your opinion i enjoy it but it's not in my to-dos i think it's fun if i don't get a fast pass and it's more than half an hour i wouldn't do it ariella loves it though ariella loves it (sighs) Because she says she's going to beat me every time and she never does. But don't tell her. If you're listening to it, Ariella, you're never beating me. (laughs) It is a, it's a shooting ride. So it's a bunch of carnival games, but it's essentially like if you ever rode the old Men in Black ride at Universal Mm -hmm. or the Buzz Lightyear ride, like it's just like that, but with, with screens and like some 3D stuff. Yeah, it's better than those. Which, okay. It's better but it's also kind of worse because I don't like mm. really screeny mm-hmm. rides, but it's a good screeny experience. But like, it's just a type of mm-hmm. ride I don't like that much. <laughs> like, I just don't like that category of ride personally because it's not experiential as much. It's just no, I, a I bad arcade game. But I'm never going to say no to it if people really want to do it. Midway it's Mania. Toy yeah. Story Midway Mania. That's the name of it. If people want to do it, I'm not going to say no. Before moving into Disneyland, which is, again, the right way to do it, 
there is one rye that we haven't talked about that nobody thinks about that never has a line that is low-key pretty great it's long it has only animatronics and it provides a cool ac breeze to get out of the sun and no i'm not talking about monster sink i'm talking about the little mermaid you're talking the, about the journey for the little mermaid how's it called Ariel's Undersea Adventure, I have the that in front right. of me. Yeah. great. It's great. It's simple. Okay. It's super great, simple. But the exact same ride is at Disney World in Orlando. And it's themed as this beautiful grotto where Ariel lives in Disney World. And here it's just this bizarre, like, seaside building. Like, I don't know. The theming's not as good. But the ride is great. It's one of the great um, kind of sit down and watch animatronics rides. The animatronics are lovely. Little yeah, Mermaid. It's five music. It's, yeah, it's that never is more a than unexpected minutes. delight. Yeah, and it's a it's what they call yeah. a people eater. Uh, people eaters are rides that can take tons of people through in a given time period. Um, that one is mm-hmm. built very similar to the Haunted Mansion and as much as there's a continuously moving track. Other people leaders include, like, Soren's technically a people leader because they can put, like, 60 people in at once. But it's just usually the continuous rides are great for keeping lines yeah. down. And the other, yeah, really the good. other famous people leaders, Pirates, It's a Small World, uh, you know, Big Boat, Slow Moving, Long. Um, perfect. So anything else in DCA you would like to talk about? Can we go so into we are, not not really. Let's go into Disneyland. So setting the stage, for us, it is now, what, 8 o'clock? Whatever opening hour is that day, I think would be 8 o'clock right now. Because these days, you can't just show up, like, after it opens. Like, normally there's this thing called the rope drop, which is for insane people, where you go and you see Mickey, like, literally, like, drop the velvet rope. There's, like, a dance and welcome you into the park yeah. so you can, like, run in and do things. Yeah. Right now, because of Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars park, you got to be smarter with your logistics. You got to be in right Yeah, and something o'clock. that we didn't talk about and we'll, we should get to Galaxy's Edge is that Disney Land has had for a long time this system called the Fast Pass, which a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with, but it just basically means with your entrance ticket, you can go to a ride and get a time to come back. And basically skip the line. There is a certain limited number per ride. And if you get later in the day, maybe they they are sold out. They're not sold out because they're free. But they don't have any more for that ride. Fast passes have a, <laughs> a weird reputation because they do make the regular lines longer. But if again, if Carl and I put our operations heads and hats... There is a very simple, probably, math equation that the people at Disney did, which is... People are willing to spend, on average, whatever, 25% more on regular lines, as long as they can skip four lines a day or something like that. It's proven that if there are no yeah. fast passes, the lines are significantly shorter. That's happening right now in Orlando because the fast pass system is down. But when I'm going with this, and this is nerdom Disney. Going to Disneyland like 10 years ago, it was a pain because to, in order to get these fast passes, you had to go physically to wherever the ride was. So yeah. if you were in one side of the park and you wanted to get a fast pass for 
something else that was going to run out. You had to get all the tickets from your family member and then basically run, get the fast pass and come back. And it just added an extra layer of difficulty. Disney, the masters of upselling, came up with this program called Max Pass, which at the beginning you paid $10 for, now you pay $20, which basically lets you do the fast passes from your phone. And it's a lifesaver. It's a lifesaver. The Also, the important piece of context that is connected to what you were saying is that you have to be inside the parks to use it. And if the park opened at 8, that means the rides and the fast pass system opens at 8. But you can enter the park at 7.30. And if you have max pass, you can actually do a fast pass before people that have ticket fast pass can do them. So also there is this strategy of if you get there early, you can win like a couple of hours by getting access to FastPass before everyone else. The FastPass MaxPass system, it's different than the other parks, uh, Florida being the big one. Florida, like FastPasses are like innately online on your phone, part of the experience. Um, the way they up upsell you is by selling you a photo pass, which is what's included with MaxPass. So the the perk I love about Max Pass is it's like ten dollars on top of your ticket mm. per ticket, but uh, but you can go to any basically any cast member, which is what they call the employees, that has a camera, and basically they'll scan your ticket or your phone and take professional photos of you around the park. It's great. The thing about Florida is Florida, you're wearing usually what's called a magic band, which is just a like it looks like an Apple Watch band but with a like a an RFID thing in it. And that is like your ticket to your, it's connected to your credit card with, with a pen. It's connected to the cameras. It's connected to the app. It's connected to your fast passes and it makes everything much more seamless. And it's all more of a digital experience. Whereas California, they just kind of yeah. hacked it on. But top. yes, max pass, the photos are great because it also includes the right pictures. It's only digital. You, you can't print them, but yes, who needs them printed in this day and age? Yeah. So instead of taking a bad iPhone photo of a, TV showing your ride photo, you get to save your ride photo. It's great. Uh, the then the other thing, which is going to take us to, we should just color cover Galaxy's Edge first Let's because we're going to go to Galaxy's Edge first in Disneyland anyway. The thing about Galaxy's Edge is it's a new thing. Um, the Millennium Falcon's back there, which is obviously a big what they call e-ticket attraction. I guess we should explain e-tickets in a second. And it's just a zoo to get into or to get on they didn't have fast passes for a while they started rolling them out uh but the bigger one to be worried about is rise of the resistance which is a like 20 minute coup de gras experience like some supposedly one of the coolest things like Aton and i have watched videos about it but in order to get on you basically have to request a place in line as part of a boarding party and basically like by 8 30 there could be a hundred boarding parties and only 80 of them are guaranteed to get on. Like it's a, it's a, you have to be yeah, there. And we'll talk more about right. Galaxy's Edge for sure. I know in our next couple of episodes around Star Wars, but it's the biggest land in Disney theme park history. It costs more than a billion dollars to make. It's huge. It's pretty, pretty large. It has these two very big rides. It has a ton of retail. It has a ton of food. It's, pretty nice it's pretty well themed it has a lot of stuff that you can do it has this cantina that caroline mentioned you can build a lightsaber it has these experiences you can do in your phone where you can literally take a picture of a wall and it tells you something you have to do and you have to go do it and whatever but it's 
it's the latest kind of big addition to Disneyland. There is a sister version in Hollywood Studios in Orlando. Uh, where do you stand on it being in Disneyland? I remember there was some controversy that it probably should have been in DCA because it didn't fit within the quote-unquote castle park, the Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom versions. I love it being in Disneyland. Like, it it does make you crumble because you're <laughs> like, it doesn't fit the aesthetic here. Also, there's Star Wars mm-hmm. rides in Tomorrowland. Like, is it just going to be Star Wars everywhere? But it is really seamlessly themed between Frontierland Korean and... counties so far. I guess Frontierland. Names, but... Yeah. Like, it it just loops back into Frontierland in, in Critter County. Or... Critter County and no, it goes to it goes to Critter Critter Country, Frontierland, and Fantasyland. It has three doors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I have it in front of me now, and it backs up to Toontown. Which, I mean, okay. There's the argument right there. To answer your question, Toontown's there. Toontown's kind of garbage, and it doesn't fit the theming very well either. And Galaxy's Edge is a better theming device than, than Toontown. Uh, yeah, I get it. I think I still have put it in DCA, but again, if we put our Imagine were executives at Imagineering, if you open Google Maps and go see where Disneyland and DCA is, there is no space in DCA. California Adventure is right next to the street. So, I guess that's kind of why it ended being in Disneyland. I think it was the main reason. It was literally there was no space. And they wanted to make it so big, even compared to the Avengers stuff that they want to have. That he just couldn't. And he just... I mean, I also like it in Disneyland because Disneyland now it's... I mean, it's difficult for it to compete with something like Tokyo Disney Sea or the new Universal also in Japan or Singapore in terms of how new they are and how big they are and how, I don't know, incredible. But now Disneyland is just an incredible park. It has a ton of stuff, a ton of rides. A ton of food, even if you think DCA is better. Uh, you can easily spend a day in Disneyland. Even more if you wanted to do everything. Disneyland is the ideal of a park to me. Because Florida has more stuff. But all the stuff I really want to do, like gun to my head, at Disneyland or Disney World or Disney Parks, period, mm. is at Disneyland. Like what? Like, I can live without pretty much everything else. Okay. Main Street USA, iconic. Uh, Tomorrowland, I don't know. I want to like Tomorrowland more than I I do. Uh, Basically, okay, you say going right is the right way, but when you're in Disneyland, going left is the right way. Frontierland, New Orleans Square, Adventureland, and Galaxy's Edge are like That's like square mile might be like the best square mile in the world. It's ridiculous. Frontierland, totally New Orleans Square, Adventureland. Yeah, Creator Counting Galaxy. That left side is super strong. Yeah. Like, I never think about the other side of the park, honestly. Like, I, I do, but, like, it's it's delightful. Um, so, yeah, Disneyland's built into different lands. So, it would actually make sense, more sense for it to be called Disney World and all the things to be sub-lands within the world or countries. Or Disneyland's. Let's get granular here. Where do you go first? So probably before... So I agree with you that I usually turn left, but my specific plan is probably driven by fast passes. With yeah. a max pass, you can open the phone and see what's playing. And there is a little bit of strategy to play because, for example, you might want to... For example, for me, Indiana Jones is the 
can't miss Rife. But if the fast pass is in like six hours and I get it, I'm not going to be able to do another fast pass for two hours. So it's better to do a couple of fast passes that are next to each other and then grab Indiana Jones. So I might do something like Jungle Cruise. I might do something like uh, Haunted Mansion. I might do something like Big Thunder. Or I might go back to Galaxy's Edge if there is anything. But something around those lines. Pirates doesn't have a doesn't have fast pass. But if there isn't a long line, that's kind of what I would do. I usually ride Haunted Mansion two or three times in a day. I love Haunted Mansion. Like, it's such a quick, usually easy experience to get into. It's always fun waiting in line. And, like, New Orleans Square is my favorite area just because I think the food and theming are great because I love New Orleans. Haunted Mansion... Uh, biggest elevator in the world in square footage yeah something you realize looking at the parks on google maps like Aton mentioned is if you look at the parks on in florida on google maps they're all like beautifully laid out and spaced and everything they're like a nightmare in california because like for example to get on haunted mansion the stuff that haunted mansion Okay, all the stuff inside Haunted Mansion is outside the bounds of the park, and you basically have to go underground to get out. And then you come back up and around and over. Same with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You actually have to go down out of or the Indiana park. Or Indiana Jones, and come back. the reason why the, the the line is like a mile long is because you have to go over the. Yeah, the. Ah, the I didn't realize they that. call them show buildings. It's also on the other side of the railroad. Frankly, Indiana Jones is the, the shocker of good ride in this park. Like, it is everyone's like Loki favorite ride or even Heike favorite, but it's like really the ride themed off of Indiana Jones from mm-hmm. the what was it the nineties? Like why would that be the cool ride? But it's just like a great ride vehicle. It's a lot of fun. It's noisy. It's got good effects. It's fantastic. It's got everything. I talked a little bit I think in one of the, our AOA episodes, but it's 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 not by far my favorite because I love Splash Mountain, but I love Indiana Jones. It has something. I think, like you said, it has everything. The queue is great, incredibly detailed. There is a story. There is uh, a lot of interactivity. The the ride vehicle, it's incredible. And it's 25 years old, 28 years old. Uh, the Imagineering story, the documentary around the parks in Disney Plus has a great segment around Indiana Jones and how they did it. It has zero screens, like you said. Usually also the dark rides, Mm -hmm. which are all of these rides that take place in the dark, don't show you the whole show building. Like they take you scene to scene and they turn you around so that it feels larger than it is. Indiana Jones, after you go into the main room, you get this huge view into this cavern and you see the other vehicles and you see this huge skull that breathes fire and it's just massive and just great. And as far as Lucasfilm stuff goes in the park, Indiana Jones is the only ride where it really feels like the full mm-hmm. like John Williams mm-hmm. experience when you're on it. Like the score is incredibly used throughout, especially like when you see that big opening for the first time. It's playing like the, the Ark of the Covenant theme from Raiders. Can you do that again anytime? I, I want to make a ringtone. And it matches with the fire and the laser coming out of the skull eye. It's so badass. It's so fun. Um, 
okay, the one thing I I have never gotten the fast pass for, like ever, is Space right. Mountain because, or Hyperspace Mountain as it's known now, because one you can either weirdly find laws in the line, or two you can do single rider, which single rider is the greatest hack. Like, um, there's only one ride I would recommend not doing single rider on is that we'll get to, and it even depends. Uh, I mean, it's the Millennium Falcon, but for in general, like single rider means that like you're gonna become the excess people. They stuff you into odd numbers of vehicles to get on. So um, you're in a like a line of of cars on Space Mountain, and they need like one or two people to fill the seats. They're gonna pull you, so you can get through that line in five to ten minutes. In, which is you can ride the, the the same thing five times in the space. It takes and the other to get thing of the this Space Mountain is that. It's single file. You're not sitting next to anyone. So even if you go, like I go with Ariella, we can't sit next to each other. She would be behind me or I would be behind her. And so you don't really know. So doing this single rider, it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of a pain because sometimes they turn it off. It's never on. There is a cast member that you can kind of just go through if he's turning the other way. It's weird, but it saves you a lot of time. It's also hidden. At Space Mountain. Like, Space Mountain. Yeah, at the exit. It's at the exit, isn't it? Like, yeah. It's it's the greatest, like, best bathrooms in the park right there, too. Not because they're actually the nicest, but because nobody's ever back there. <laughs> actually, second. Okay. Are we getting into... We're not doing a separate episode around best bathrooms? We want to get to it here? <sighs> we should. I mean, okay. I, I do I do want to I do want to give a shout-out to Critter Crunching Bathrooms, though. Below... Great bathrooms. <laughs> uh, Contrabury Jamboree. Or, well, what used to be. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. Do you want to get into what I think are the best bathrooms? I think you hate when I talk about this. Okay, the Tangled bathrooms at Magic Kingdom are great. Also, they're so great, but in Disneyland... What? Club 33. <laughs> Carl just Carl just made a face. Dude, well, the, you are talking best bathrooms in Disneyland. Okay, best bathrooms you can get access to <laughs> regularly. But yes, Aton has been to Club 33. Would you like to tell the class what uh, I would love Club to, 33 love is? About this. So like Carl mentioned, New Orleans Square, <laughs> great theming, incredibly packed area of the park. Very nice little streets you can walk through. Like any good Disney-themed street, it has a lot of doors and windows, usually fake. But one of these doors has a big 33 sign at the top and a 33 like ring. How would you call it? Like what do you ring to? Un timbre in Espanol. Doorbell. And with a doorbell. There you go. Doorbell. And sometimes it's very funny because yeah. you see families, you know, laying down in the shade and then somebody very well-dressed comes, rings this doorbell, the door opens and there is these waiters dressed in white tuxedos that know your name and welcome you inside and then close the door. And then you see the families look at their maps and they're like, what is this place? This place is not on the map. This place is Club 33. When Walt Disney was building Disneyland, he he wanted the park to include kind of a, a West Coast version of a private New York club, if you could imagine, somewhere he could entertain sponsors or celebrities from LA. And if if in your mind you just think about a private club, that's how it looks. 
right now, the way it works is that it's a membership-based club. You need to do a waitlist in order to get in. I believe the once you get it, the membership fee is like $25,000. And then you need to pay a maintenance fee of like $15,000 a year. And basically what it, get, what it gets access to is this club where you can go hang out. It has a Michelin star restaurant. I don't know if it's officially Michelin star because it's not open to the public, but... LA doesn't have Michelin stars. Continue. There you go. There is no Michelin guy. Okay. And tablecloth restaurant, only five tables, tasting menu. For a long time, until last year, it was the only place in Disneyland where you could drink. It has this beautiful lounge that includes like a bar. And it also includes stuff like, you know, an annual pass, parking pass, unlimited fast passes and whatever. But this is basically the version of if Carl and I lived in LA and we were rich, I guess when we're rich, instead of becoming members of a like a golf course or a country club, you become a member of Club 33, which is kind of the ultimate Disney. You know, it's like, hey, do you want to go have drinks? Where? To Disney, to Disneyland, to the Club 33. And I had the chance, a family member knows someone who is a member and they made a reservation for us and we went in. You have to change your clothes. You have to dress nicely. You can't go in your typical theme park clothes. And it has a beautiful bathroom. I can't even explain. Listener, if you go online and search for Club 33, even the photos don't make it justice. I don't know if there's like an NDA that you can't take pictures inside, but there isn't that much information outside of it. I mean, why didn't you take pictures? I pro- I was probably ashamed and just didn't want to seem like a newbie. Nah, there we go. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Also, I did misspeak. The Michelin Guide returned last year, so there are now Michelin okay. restaurants in LA, but there haven't been for a while. Anyway, just wanted to issue that's a good. quick retraction there. Yeah, I haven't been to Club 33 because you are my connection to Club 33. I'm going to put it on the record, Carl. I'm going to get you into Club 33. We're going to go together. I don't know if a reservation for the restaurant, but at least get a drink at the lounge. Hey, I'm keeping you to that. We're going to we're gonna do it. I mean, that's pretty like bucket list item for me, honestly. It's pretty nice. And you've already done it's it, pretty so nice. way to go. Yeah. Well, okay. That's probably also the best restaurant in the parks, too. Like, I mean... There's probably very little... It's no. not the best ride in the park. Though, I mean, the elevator might be nice, so it, is a nice it could elevator. be better than some rides. Uh, okay. So, that yeah, diversion... Sponsored wow, by. that was a really annoying diversion, but... <laughs> sponsored by Aton having connections. But I am dying to go, in all honesty, and it sounds a lot of fun and really cool. So, we kind of got in. We kind of popcorned around. Um, Let's say that it's like... 10 o'clock now a.m i mean dca carl what sorry it's it's noon yes 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 <sighs> you're right okay okay <laughs> let's see so anyway i was gonna i was hoping to make this episode like this long journey through and out of the parks like until sundown but really at this point i think the big two things i want to talk about like that popcorn around the rest of the day are mm-hmm. what are your snack mm-hmm. options slash food options for the day and what are the like go-to rides you have to do okay. in Disneyland? I think that that covers everything. Ask away. Let's do top three rides. Top three in Disneyland. 
Yeah, I, okay, I figure you have a top perfect. 20 somewhere. I wanted to do top three in Disneyland. Top three, that's fine. <laughs> top three. So top three, Indiana Jones, number one. Splash Mountain, soon to be R.A.P., uh, Prince and the Frog. It's probably still going to be up there if they keep yeah. water-based, how long it is, animatronic-based. Super, super good. And then I, I've i changed a lot my mind, but I think Big Thunder Mountain it's something that yeah. I didn't love for a very long time, and I've gotten back to it, and I just really, really like it. I think, however, before asking you for your top three in Disneyland, something that I love about Disneyland is how many good rides it has. It doesn't, you know, these are the, like the stars, but you can just go and do ride after ride after ride after ride that is good. For example, I love Alice in Wonderland. Um I really like Space Mountain. I really like. I know you did, you said you didn't like uh, Toontown, but I love. I like Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin with a pun. I really like Jungle Cruise. I really like Pirates of the Caribbean. I really like the Millennium Falcon. I find all of Fantasyland very cute. I'm not a huge. The the one that I kind of stand that people don't like me is that I'm not a huge Matterhorn person. It really hurts my back and my neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, would do uh, Mission Everest in Animal Kingdom 10 times out of 10 more than Matterhorn. But even though I have kind of the my top three rides, if you tell me like, hey, would you trade one of those for the other 10? I would happily do that. Because it, yeah, it has sure. a very high quality kind of all around. I love the ponds in Jungle Cruise. I'm a, I'm a pond guy. I'm a big Jungle Cruise guy because it's like kind of sedate. I love puns. It's it's the one ride where people get to improv and the improv is usually funny and fun and like the ride like kind of slows down and breaks down some, so it's nice to have that. Uh yeah, I that's one I like hikey like Inferian too. Um What other Space Mountain Okay. I didn't used to like Space Mountain because of kind of the Matterhorn of it all. Like it's this like it used to be just this really old, creaky metal coaster. And also the way it's constructed inside, you always felt like you were going to be decapitated and couldn't stand it. <laughs> but they recently updated it to be Star Wars themed. And it's called Hyperspace Mountain. And now you're just in an X-Wing battle. And it like, considering you have that and then you have the motion simulator that's actually just flying the Millennium Falcon, Hyperspace Mountain is so much more fun because it actually feels thrilling and not like a video game. And you're just like, on a crazy roller coaster. So Hyperspace Mountain is not number one for me, but it's a top three. Interesting I think India... take, though. A lot of people don't like hyperspace. They'd rather have space. I don't remember space that well, so I can't compare them. But See, That's the existential problem with the IP versus not IP. Is like It was nice that it wasn't IP, but it was just really generic and like a laser light show. It wasn't anything like that crazy. That is the one thing that I'm like going to like really be in love with, though. It's like... I get being frustrated there, but that's a great use of IP in the park to me. Uh, and then for me, the others are um, Indiana Jones and Splash Mountain. I just Splash Mountain's a great flume ride. It's racist as hell. We've discussed it. Like, um, actually, we in haven't detail. discussed it. We've well, discussed it in detail publicly. on the episode that hasn't been released. Um, we're just gonna essentially on the record. We're just gonna dump that on the podcast app when one of us has some crisis where we can't record one week that will be our filler week yeah we'll probably split it into two to have a background it's two hours long it's yeah and it's very you could tell it was like our first episode it 
it's whatever but we'll put it on there we'll put context we can maybe do a commentary how about that listen mystery science oh, theater 3000 like commentary have four people no um those yeah those are the big ones to, to shout out other rides like you said jungle cruise i love mr toad's wild ride mm. it's one of the earliest rides in the park it's i mean it's like 60s but it's like one of those it's a dark ride which is what we discussed is you have um you're just in the dark moving around sometimes with animatronics in this case it's a bunch of cutouts it's like really low rent but it's a lot of fun it goes really fast and it's like you 45 end up seconds no isn't it like yeah it's like short it is a ridiculously short ride and it's like really fast too um and you end up going to hell in the bot at like the end of it which they added on to the original ride i don't know it's a wild it it is truly it's a wild, a wild ride, ride. <laughs> um let's see okay peter pan everyone okay. loves I want, peter pan. I want to go there yes let's talk to let's talk about peter pan peter pan has the longest wait of any ride in the park consistently like except for maybe indiana jones like it is a hard ride to get on the fast buses disappear instantly and it is a dark ride but it's it's kind of fun i don't think i don't think it has fast pass in disneyland Oh, it doesn't. I don't think anything in Fantasyland has. Okay, so what's your take on Peter Pan here? Not worth the wait. Not I, worth the I, wait. I if it was it. half Everyone... an hour, I would do it. It's usually 90 minutes or two hours. So Everybody short. loves it because it is like everyone likes dark rides and like it is fun to sit on it and you are on a track in a in a ship that's above everything, which is really cool. There's this room where you go above London and it's really striking different but it's not worth that wait at all yeah i i would say i can see how when i go there with kids exactly they would love it and when i go there with anyone everyone wants to do it and i always end up doing it and like just waiting and being miserable but <laughs> yeah it's not worth the wait to me but it is a good one like that's the thing is like there are a few bad rides on here i guess we can get into those in a minute but like that's yeah uh, go okay, go for I, it okay i've rides. also never i've never been to i don't even remember what they call it now the mr lincoln attraction um oh um okay the disneyland story presenting great moments with mr lincoln uh because this ride was one of the original world's fair rides in the 60s that they they put in as an animatronic Abe Lincoln. Then it became a celebration of Disneyland, and then they mashed the two of them together. So he's just kind of like an act in the show. It's weird, but I've never been on this, and I love the Hall of Presidents in Main in uh, Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom. So I want to do this, but nobody will ever go with me to see the animatronic or Abe Lincoln. I love the animatronic presidents; they're so cool. Yeah, I can, I can, I think I can relate to. To that, I think that it's makes so sense. Cool. With the animatronics, but the other thing, okay. the other thing, the one that has a ton of animatronics, that it's, eh, it's, uh, it's a small world. Another world fair, right? I love it's a small world because I love taking people on it that have never been on it because they're so disturbed by it because it is truly disturbing. I can see that as an adult for the first time. Yeah, I like the song. It's it gets in your head, but I like it. I love the building. It's this bizarre like clock that chimes every 15 minutes and has puppets on the outside i yeah i mean and it has no weight that's the big thing too it's yeah that's great. true and, and it's pretty 
pretty long. I skipped it the last couple of times that I've been there. Okay, we neglected to really talk about. Uh, we kind of talked about Haunted Mansion. We both love Haunted Mansion. We ne- we didn't talk Pirates at all. Like Pirates is a great ride. I'm a big fan of Pirates. Arilla doesn't like Pirates, so <sighs> we I don't go at at it that much. But it's I think it's great. It's big. It's fun it has a couple of drops it has good music yeah and i think it also changed because it was also so great Mm pre-movies where you would hear yoho yoho and you would think of the ride and not the movie it has a smell similar to splash mountain probably it has like two one two of the most distinctive Uh smells that it's just fires up the neurons and brings up nostalgia uh, also, one of the reasons why I like eating at Blue Bayou, which Carl mentioned, is that it overlooks Pirates of the Caribbean indoors, yeah. so it smells like the ride. So it's, it's like a great experience. The biggest one thing of I my think biggest... Pirates is that it's it's fifteen it's fifteen minutes long, twelve minutes long. Yeah, the longest. One of my favorite things on theme parks is indoor spaces that feel like you're outdoors at night. Mm-hmm. Pirates does that. Uh, Mexico at Epcot does that. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a great dumb magic trick that i fall for and i love like outdoor dining on a bayou and you watch like people on boats go by and wave at you it's so funny (laughs) pirates also has a special place in my heart because it's one of the rides where i have a tip that i give people and then they come back to me and they're like wow that's so specific and then they love it and you were one of those persons yeah it it's (laughs) it's always go right right always go right yeah just like uh park entry (laughs) like always go right but yeah whenever there's a fork in the pirates line go right and it's actually a shorter line geographically than the other lines so you're gonna get on faster it's great like i went in there fully like skeptical of it and was finding people yeah like i was there with people and i was like okay we need to keep track of who's wearing what so that we can look for people and see if we're beating them on the line or not. And we were cons- we were like 10 people ahead of people. It was great. Because in your head was like, we need to keep track so I can tell Itan is full of shit. That was exactly it. Yeah. However, you realize that I was right and that it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Okay. Hot take. Okay, let's go to bad rides. Uh, my let's hot take here to... is yeah. that Millennium Falcon Smuggler's ride Run is kind of a bad ride. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, uh, I agree. I think it's a difficult ride for me to interact with because it brings a lot of stuff yes. that I care about, right? Uh, theming outside, amazing. Line, amazing. Technology, great. The what lobby to get to... on the ride, great. Yeah, great. What they choose to use every th- all of that to do, not great. <sighs> yeah, it's... So, okay. What I alluded to earlier that you shouldn't do single rider with it. If you've been on it before and you're with people that have been on it before, you absolutely should. But the problem is the way this ride works is you stand in line and then you get pulled out of line at the end of the line and you go into kind of like a waiting area where you're held for about five minutes while they like put you into the Falcon. And the whole thing is designed to, for you to feel like you're the one stepping into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, like with this group of people and you all have different roles and everything. And Honestly, when you do single rider line, you also get the worst role, whereas you can ask for roles when you're not doing single rider. Like, you can ask to be the... Like, you just want to be the pilot. Okay, first of all, like, that's this is all that's bad with this ride, is 
you have to basically go through the line because you want to be in the, the ride with the people you're there with rather than strangers. And then you also, you definitely want to be pilots because being a pilot is the only fun position. And also, not only the only fun position, right? But when you think of the freaking Millennium Falcon and everything that it means, you want to be Han Solo. There is no exactly. engineers in the Millennium Falcon. Okay. Well, there are shooters, but they're in like other places. So if you know about right. them, you know that's ridiculous. Yeah, see, people think that the gunner would be the most fun because you're shooting things. But it's not like you're not in the thing uh, Luke Skywalker's in where he's aiming a massive turret. That would be incredible. That, that would be, be awesome. the best ride. No, you get to push a button to launch a torpedo every like 30 seconds. Yeah. The that's best position is actually co pilot. The one that turns on the. The hyper speed space. The hyper speed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because if you're in the Chewbacca seat, you get to push the big lever to go to height to light speed. Like, you don't punch to do it. that. Yeah, it's oh, so fun. Punch it, Star Trek. Did I just miss them up? Yeah, it's okay. I'll edit that out. But the problem, Nate, we won't edit that out. We'll keep it in. <laughs> the The big problem with it, though, is it, it is a VR simulator of being in the Millennium Falcon, and it's, like, very convincing. It's very good. But, like, it is a little too CG-feeling, and the whole thing is it's the it's like you're supposed to take a shipment of coaxium somewhere or steal something it's all based around the lore of solo a star wars story which like is pretty forgettable it's just it's deeply uninteresting the mission is very on rails like you're not just flying the millennium falcon around which would be a ton of fun and yeah it should have just been a dogfight let's be honest it's supposed to, similarly to Star Tours, they did it in a way that supposedly they can add new stories and new yeah. things you can do. I think, however, it's been so expensive they haven't done it. And I still think that the way they did it, like these positions, it's just not going to be fun to do. We've done it a couple of times. And it's a shame yeah. because then the, the, the best part of this ride ends up being seeing the Millennium Falcons outside. The place where they put it in Galaxy's Edge is awesome. If you go yeah. to Disneyland, whenever it opens and there are fireworks, whenever there are fireworks, is the best place to watch the fireworks from. You can see the these fake rocks that they did for Galaxy's really Edge cool. and the Millennium Falcon and the fireworks. It looks amazing. And then the second part is probably this waiting area where you mentioned you're waiting to get in the cockpit because it looks like the inside of the Millennium Falcon. So it has like the game that Han and Luke play and it has the round table where you can sit down and it looks exactly the same, which again brings a lot of nostalgia. But I agree with you with the rider. The ride not being, not being that great. <laughs> okay. Continue on bad rides. Matterhorn's bad because it hurts. We talked about yes. that. What else is bad? Autopia. Oof, Autopia's rough. Autopia needs to... It needs, it's, it's such a large real estate. I think there's still, like, diesel power. It smells like diesel. So Autopia is... You're basically riding, like, little slot cars around, except they're full size and you drive them. So it's, like, it's like sad go-karts. Yeah, not not great. Uh, the other one that I really, really like that I don't like that much is the Buzz Lightyear shooting one. Yeah, I I don't like the shooting games. So it's it's really other people leader. poorly. Yeah, people love that one. Usually you can get on pretty quickly, though, so that one's not like a waste of a day. Um, I've never ridden most of the kids' rides, like Gadget's Go Coaster or like the, um, the like little kitty coasters. I haven't the one done that is Dumbo. good is Astro Orbiters. I can't that one is fun. Astro Orbiters. It's too tiny. Like Oh, that one is fun. It's actually faster than you think, and you can go up and down. That one is great. That one's okay. Okay. I I don't love it. Actually, you know what? 
I take it back. I could probably fit in it, but for some reason they loaded like they were like, oh, this is this is a two person ride, and they loaded like me and my sister in at the same time. It was like mm-hmm. way too. Yeah, tight. it's a it's a two person. Yeah, yeah, but it did not fit. It was rough. Dumbo is absolutely the ride you have to take your kids to because it's the same thing where you fly around in a circle and it's up and down. But when you're an adult, it's not that interesting. There's other versions of the ride and it has the longest line in the park besides yeah. Peter Pan. Yeah, the only one that is similar to that, that it's very, it's pretty nice in at night. Again, if you're a listener and you're listening to us an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast, you'll realize that we like this ride not because they're thrilling or exciting, but because they wake up emotions in us. The teacups mm-hmm. of uh, the yeah. Mad Hatter at night, they have these beautiful lights on top, and it's actually a pretty nice ride to do at night. It's very cool, and it's very fun, and it's, like, easy to get on. Um, Eitan and I are just, like, big nerds about, like, animatronics and stuff, too, so, like, I imagine you really... Oh, I know you really like the Tiki Room. Oh, yeah, I, I really like the Tiki Room. I have yeah, it so it's a, it's a room filled with animatronic birds that sing a song, and you get, get dull with afterwards. It's great. Or before and go in. You can take it in. Yeah. You can take it in. That's game changing. It's it's great. It's AC. It's long. It's cute. It's very cute. And the song is great. The other... Well, I don't want to go back to... Uh, DCA. But the other ride that we both know we don't love, which is unfortunate because of its execution, is Filler Magic. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a mix of songs in a 3D theater, but in the good executions in Magic Kingdom and in Hong Kong, the theater kind of opens up. It starts out as a, if I just it was a movie screen, and then it goes black, and when The Little Mermaid comes up, it's like a 360-degree theater. Yeah. And here, it's not. <laughs> it's just like broken up screens, and it looks pretty bad. It's the difference between seeing something in actual IMAX and like a fake IMAX theater. Like if you've ever been in a fake IMAX where it's like, it's like three or four stories. It's like not this massive, like 70 foot screen that like you feel dwarfed by. Like it's like, okay, this is fine, but it's like not, I'd rather just do something smaller than this or massive. Like it's, it's not that interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah. Overall. And then obviously all the, like the, the off-the-shelf carnival rides are not great but yeah food food i was gonna say this is a good connection the buzz like you right i really and i usually do it because we bet the next snack so whoever loses needs nice. to get the next snack because we are in disneyland our favorite snack by far is the corn dog from the yeah, little red wagon take. in main street it's delicious it's not the same corn dog as in all the other restaurants in both Disneyland and DCA. It's great. It's usually $12 or something like that. But if you order it without chips, it's 9 No line. Great flavor. Give me all the oil and the grease. Some ketchup. I'm very happy. You have takes on the corn dog, the Disneyland corn dog. Don't you dare. Oh, my God. Don't kill me. Like, Okay. I was going to say the other tip that Aton gave me when I was going to Disneyland and besides his always go right tip was about the corn dogs and it was a great corn dog i'm glad i went to that one instead of another one it's just i don't know it's a corn dog it's it's better than a pretzel or a churro or popcorn but i love mickey pretzels 
and I love churros. I like those more than I like corn dogs, but corn dogs actually will tide you over to the next meal instead of burning up instantly. On the sweet side, however, I agree with you. The beignets are amazing. They're like five dollars for three. They're like or something great ridiculous. beignets. Like they are just shy of Cafe du Monde. Like they're great beignets. They also have this thing called the mint and julep bar right next mm. to I the think that's where they, place. That's where they sell them. So some it depends. During peak hours, there's a beignet shop and oh, they separate the them. mint julep bar. But during off hours, they're the same. And the, they have a mint julep, which is essentially just a weird mint iced tea like or mint uh, lemonade. It's good. It's just pure sugar. It doesn't have whiskey in it, but I don't know. It's it's pretty good. They have a watermelon one during the summer. And good hot chocolate there. Really? I haven't had the hot chocolate there. Is it actually like good dipping? Is it like Mexican dipping hot chocolate or is it just like hot chocolate? No, it's not like dipping like dense. It's just regular hot chocolate, but it's okay. pretty good. Especially for like a winter night in LA that it's not cold. Yeah. But you're like, okay, I need to wear a sweater for a second. It's perfect. Like, I think that when I think of those vignettes, it's literally dusk overlooking the rivers of America with all the lights that they turn on in New Orleans Square. Oh, I want to go. I, yeah, I miss it like that's why we're doing this episode it's just both of us like want to briefly pretend we're at disneyland and talk about it so yeah no i'll try the hot chocolate i love beignets dole whip is the other like gotta have mm-hmm. great sweet um it's just pineapple soft serve you can get it as a float with juice added to it too it's great i my biggest regret is like i have not been to the tiki bar over at the disneyland hotel where they the trader sam's yeah, Trader Sam's, because one, I love tiki bars. It's supposed to be, like, fantastic theming and actually good drinks. And two, you can get alcoholic Dole Whip there with rum. I think just rum, but still. Oh, that, sounds, that sounds great. I want to try that. So bad. That's my problem of driving there. And usually having a pack day that that just no. goes off the shelf. But when I take you to Club 33 and we stay there, we'll go to Trader Sam's. Thank you. I the other, it. The other... Snack. Well, I don't know if it's snack. It might be a full meal. The Ronto wrap. In, I was going to say Ronto wraps are great. In Galaxy's Edge is great. And the breakfast one is also It's so great. weird. <laughs> it's a weird mix one. of... It's it's a pita with like a sausage and cabbage and like coleslaw, I guess. Uh, It's got like a yogurt sauce. It's like... It's basically like kind of a Mediterranean dish and then they put mm-hmm. sausage in it. It's really strange. It's supposed to be like alien food, but it's like actually really delicious. Yeah, it's pretty good. The the colored milks awful. Mm-mm, yep, no, 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 likey. Yeah, the I mean, turkey leg. It's kind of. I mean, we. <sighs> I haven't gotten it in years. So much gristle and fat. When I went with friends like ten years ago, and we, it was five of us, we got one between the five of us, and it was fine. So you can also get corn on the cob throughout the park, and so when I went to Shanghai Disneyland, I. Got this thing over near the Twist Story area that had, it was corn on the cob with bacon and like Kewpie mayo and barbecue sauce. And that was my mm. snack. And it was like the greatest snack I've ever had. Like, I want that and they don't have that anywhere here. But there's that. And then beyond that, yeah, like, honestly, like, the snacks are good and the Ronto wraps like are a decent like meal but realistically like i just want to have a nice sit down dinner somewhere over in california adventure 
Yeah, so that's how I, I do it. things. But now that you get to dinner, I think the just I guess as a close up, I would have a question for you. Okay. Nighttime spectacular. What's your plan? What do you do? There are three: Oof. Fantasmic, Fireworks in Disneyland, and World of Color in BCA. Yeah. Um, basically, I forget World of Color exists. Mm-hmm. Fantasmic, you should see once. Fantasmic is the only time of day I try to avoid New Orleans Square. It's ridiculous, yeah. Fantasmic's when I go to when I go back to the Galaxy's Edge and like hit the shops and like hang out over there a little bit. I don't like Fantasmic. It's so crowded and it's such a choke point and it's like it's, very it's a good show, but it's frustrating. And fireworks, like once a year, I want to do the big stand in front of the castle fireworks, but like I don't want to do that at Disneyland. Disneyland, I can like do the fireworks anywhere. So basically, I avoid the nighttime shows at Disneyland and use that as a chance to like siphon people off and go ride other rides. I will stand and watch the Main Street Electrical Parade when it is running because I mm-hmm. love that. It's like a night. The, the soundtrack is great. Yeah. It's just like got this crazy electronic soundtrack. Tiny's providing the soundtrack. Yep. It's our musical episode. Disney Electrical. Okay. That's interesting because I, first off, agree with you on Fantasmic. I think it has a great effect where Maleficent. Uh, the dragon comes up, which is there great. is some great stuff in there, and there's like projections on the fog. It's super cool. Yeah, I would say again in the day that we spend in DCA, World of Color is great. World of World of Color is nice. It's easy to see. A lot of water. It's long. Great songs. And I also agree with you that the fireworks are significantly better in Orlando because they have the projections on the castle and it's the way longer. Big. Yeah, the castle. The castle's big. tiny in California. But I, I still really, Ariel and I, we love fireworks in general. So we, we try to at least do the fireworks. The fireworks are the purest dose of Disney nostalgia. And just like they play when you wish upon a star at some point and you like just start melting and it's great. Like the fireworks. So Magic Kingdom fireworks are like, I can't miss. Like they're great. Or at least stand and stop and watch somewhere. But like D- Disneyland is so small that it just becomes a logistical nightmare to do any of these shows at night. And there's so many choke points that like I just try to avoid them and do other things instead of like being in the way. That makes sense. But that's a great question. World of Color is fine. Like World of Color is like the Epcot show and is like, they're like fine. I don't know. I enjoy seeing them and I enjoy it that I can see them from anywhere like in that area. But Well, now that you're a weird person that likes to go to DCA in the middle of the day, just go in the middle of the night and watch World of Color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's been good to reminisce. It's sad, especially because of what we talked at the beginning on the news. But even talking about it brings back good memories. <sighs> yeah, it does. On that note, let's bring this episode to a close a nostalgic and sad close hoping that everything gets better but uh i guess you asked me my nighttime spectacular question i asked i will ask you a question as part of our aua tradition ask us anything 
I love that we have an acronym for it and always explain the acronym. <laughs> well, you never know where new listeners are going to start. Maybe they'll I start know, here. But like, we don't use it any other time except for, <laughs> I guess, the AUA episodes. I don't know. We have an acronym, AUA. So you get carte blanche to change one thing in the park. What's it going to be? Either park. Hmm. I think I, I I agree with you that DCA is not great, but I believe in it. There is this silver and hope in my mind that it's going to... So if I have one thing that I could do, I would probably spend it there. I think Disneyland is amazing. So there are two areas that I would turn down and start again in DCA. One is Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I like Buena Vista... Uh, is it called Buena Vista? Yeah, Buena Vista Street. I like that entrance and Carthay Circle. But everything to the left, I would turn down. Or I would turn down both Pixar Pier and Paradise Gardens. So all of that corner. Yeah. And do something new. Hopefully something non-IP. I think if I if you gave me one type of thing that I would like it will be similar to what Tokyo Disney Sea has in the mm-hmm. in the how do you call it like the Jules Verne era yeah. like this this pitch that um the Imagineers had I think also for for you at least for Euro Disney like it's like punk steam type of stuff and yeah. rights and it's something that Disney has done very very well and if you watch the concepts for that area or go see the the Jules Verne area in Disney Sea is like incredible, and that's like my type of stuff, like weird 1800s engineering. I don't know. It will be something around those lines. That's a good question. What about you? Mine would also be DCA specific. I mean, we're on the same page here. Like the Hollywood stuff is not great. Pixar Pier is not great. Hollywood stuff is just going to become Marvel. Like we're actually, it's not quite going to so. become Marvel. It's just no. all this green space on the map. It's it was it was uh, a box land. It's good to be yeah. about all of the kids area and the... Okay, so we do something there, but I have a pitch for Pixar Pier. Okay. Pixar Pier is built around a lagoon. I assume they used it to build up other parts of the park. We got it in Paradise Gardens. Paradise Gardens is part of Pixar Pier. It's just kind of a less themed area. We got that and put a mini world showcase in. From Epcot. Mm. So World Showcase is all the countries around a lagoon in Epcot. It's the greatest dining in any Disney park, except for I haven't been to Disney Z, but I imagine it still takes the cake there. Uh, it's just a fun place to hang out. And you could do a few representative countries or even like continents or something. You could kind of go the like animal kingdom route and have like vaguely Africa and vaguely Asia, which is vaguely racist. But if we do European countries, it's not. Um, mm-hmm. Just like... World Showcase of the con- the Continents. I think that could be fun. That would be cool. That would be great. Better Ugh, than what's there now. DCA space constraint. But that's good. It's good to close the episode in a sliver of hope for what things can be. A sliver of hope for what is going to happen if we run Imagineering and Disney. There you yeah. go. Yes, a sliver of hope for a career path we're not currently on but could be. <laughs> We need to get our creative chops, uh, get back to 
drawing and architecture and civil engineering. If you're listening to this episode and work for WDI, give us a call. We've got some ideas. Please. Please do. You can actually contact us at or on Twitter at StuckInDevPod. Our personal Twitters are there as well. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe us if you were for, you know, WDI or anyone else. Uh, you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. Please let us know how we're doing. Give us suggestions for questions. And we'd just love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>